part two. Pubs. Pubs with Paul Waterson. Should be its own show. Um, <laughs> so Paul uh, obviously is the CEO of Australian Venue Co who operate um, pretty much naturally uh, with pubs in nearly all parts of the country, around 170 of them from memory, but I'll fact check that with him. Um, so yeah, but we've had Paul on before and um, we thought he would be a great person to um to understand, you know, I, I guess he, that his thoughts as to how they're approaching reopening. You know Paul very well, obviously. Yeah, and it's. Uh, I think that it's good that we've got businesses of this scale who have capability to really think across different parts of the business, um, you know, um, because they've got people in charge of HR, marketing and processes and so forth. So whether you're a small business or a large one, like the, there's such a good opportunity to learn from um, what some of our better, uh, our large scale operators are, are thinking at this stage. So I'm pretty, pretty excited uh, as always to get some wisdom from the man. Nice one. Well, let's, uh, let's get him on. Well, welcome, Paul Waterson, back to the Back of House podcast. It's really catchy, this. We're catching up with a series of industry leaders as we all navel gaze around reopening and trying to, I guess, really just get information out into the market across categories of properties that um, hotels through to, you know, pubs, through restaurants, through bars, cafes, because I think it's all very different for depending on who you are. So, as a industry leader, um, <laughs> we thought we'd pick your brain. How's it all looking? G'day, Mike. G'day, Luke. Thanks very much for uh, having me back. Yeah, it's pretty positive, isn't it? Like, we're pretty excited and and looking forward to a really strong bounce back. Obviously, there's quite a few things we need to work through, but, you know, we're certainly in a much better shape than we were a couple of months ago. And and what's the um, – it would be good to get a bit of a perspective on the Melbourne dynamic versus the Sydney dynamic um, around reopening. I'm very focused on – what, what's going on here and less focused about, you know, Victoria, but it's a national operator like yourself, like obviously it's one business in a sense. So do you want to just kind of give us an overview? Yeah, Melbourne is in an interesting place. Um, we're getting the roadmap, probably our fifth roadmap, announced this Sunday in terms of what reopening will look like. We're... A bit cautious about what that may be. The reopening in regional areas has been very, very risk averse. So we're only allowed 10 people inside the pub and 20 people outside the pub in regional Victoria, no matter how big the pub is. And I think that's the frustrating thing for operators that, like, you've got the, these politicians saying, you know, the, the, the virus doesn't discriminate and we're following the health advice, but there's such different health advice in different jurisdictions depending on how risk-averse the public health officials are and, and that makes it a really hard environment to operate in. Right. Um, and in terms of, uh, I guess, uh, like if we maybe we speak to whichever market you like, but I guess uh, we're interested in some of the tangible processes that you're putting in place to re- facilitate reopening and you know across marketing people operations yeah yeah it's uh from a marketing perspective we're just about to launch our um i miss the pub campaign and that's really celebrating the moments that everyone's missed from being at the pub with friends and families 
we're just asking customers to share what they miss most about the pub and to chance to win some two hundred dollar vouchers. And we're getting really great traction with that. I mean, you, you get some great lines, don't you? Like, you know, one of the ones I was reading yesterday was the old the moment when a, a bloke yells out to another guy walking into the pub, "Who let you in here?" And then you know the other one where you, you've had that third drink and you're thinking, "All right, we're on here." Like they, they are great pub moments. And uh, we haven't had enough of them this year, so it's, it's just really great to read some of these positive stories. I think from a people perspective, that's a little bit more challenging. We've done a lot of work in trying to stay connected with staff, as I know a lot of hospitality operators have done. We've got our Meals for Mates program in Sydney and Melbourne, and that's been a great way to engage with the team where we've got the chefs preparing meals for our team members and other hospitality workers so you know i think we're in as good a shape as we can be uh, from a people perspective notwithstanding uh, the shortages that no doubt we'll, we'll cover off as we chat this morning and i think from an operation perspective what we've tried to do is is keep in touch with the people during the lockdown through a heap of different channels we've done a lot of online paid training and and offered people opportunities to assist in head office departments for venue managers and head chefs and that's enabled us to help with those reopening plans like we're really trying to aim for a low friction reopening for patrons with as fewer extra rules as possible we, we know there's going to be a lot of rules relating to safety understandably but we're trying to not introduce too many rules on top of that so really easy booking process we're going to aim for two hour slots look if you want to come in and nurse a schooner at the bar for two hours you're very welcome to do that we're not going to try and maximize every dollar of revenue from the minute we open this is more about creating long-term sustainable offering that brings people back into the venues again we could um with obviously your portfolio can you tell me how many pubs do you have right now uh, we've got uh, 175, Luke, and about yep. 52 of them are closed as of today. Sure. So if we look at, I mean, if we look at Sydney, because there's the feeling is um, amongst many operators that I'm speaking to, and, and I think we spoke about this last time, Mike, that, that there, there is almost a working date that you can forecast. Yeah. Um, instead of talking about, you know, the 50 that are closed, if you look at one pub right now in Sydney, what plans are you putting in place now to get that from a state of being closed? Like, are you starting mm. to get those cogs turning? I'm assuming you are. And, 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 yeah. and how are you thinking about that in terms of, uh, you know, going from closure to reopening? Yeah. Well, if I take Bungalow as an example, Luke, which is probably our largest venue in Sydney, we're doing a lot of work with uh, City of Sydney on adding outdoor capacity to Bungalow 8. I think it's very clear that... Um, having outdoor capacity added to venues is going to be a really important enabler of venues getting back on their feet. So we're in the process of lodging a DA in order to get that outdoor capacity built on, and that enables to get you know, nowhere near what would be the ordinary licence capacity for Bungalow 8, but somewhere where it can trade on an even keel. From a team perspective, we've been working with the team now for a good four or five weeks on ensuring that they're vaccinated for the reopening. Uh, it's been, I think as you point out, 
New South Wales has been great at telegraphing what the next move is going to be and it really helps with that forward planning and they made that very clear very early that only fully vaccinated staff and patrons were going to be allowed back into venues and that's given time for people to consider their vaccination offering and you know, I'm really pleased to say there has been non-existent vaccine hesitancy amongst our Sydney staff and our Melbourne staff I should say so we anticipate that perhaps all but two team members of Bungalow 8 will be fully vaccinated by the opening and those two is just a probably a timing issue so that that also puts us in really good shape we've been spending a lot of time in getting our spaces ready and the booking systems ready to facilitate the space given uh, Bungalow is one of those venues where there's usually a lot of um, stand-up entertainment, so so getting the seating area located well, the spaces located well, starting to book the entertainment, uh, reopening with a relatively full menu and doing some pre-testing um, of what the menu is going to be, uh, our online ordering system's all up and going. So there's a really a, a, a machine cranking up there now in Sydney that I suspect you're seeing um, throughout the industry, which is really exciting. That's, um, I mean, that's everything that you've just said there is the kind of exact reason why we're, we're doing these podcasts. Um, with that DA process specifically, can you talk, what, what kind of an application is that you're making? Is that a short-term time-based kind of like um, uh, yeah. use it on, on a, for a agreed set of period of time for X number of people or is it a full DA? Uh, no, we're, it's a full DA, but we're looking to get approval through to 30th of June next year. Um, now, hopefully that will be extended, but that's the current thinking around that. Because of where Bungalow is, it requires approval from um, Transport New South Wales, the police, uh, and also, obviously, um, liquor and gaming. So we'll, we'll go through and get those approvals and then lodge the DA through City of Sydney. It's a multifaceted process that is going to take some time. So, you know, if people are considering it, I'd really encourage them to start looking at this now and get going now because even the public consultation period, as we know, can be sort of two to three weeks and City of Sydney can potentially take six weeks to review some of these DAs. Now, as the volume of applications for outdoor dining increases, that's going to create pressure on the approval process. So the more people are thinking about this now and potentially lodging applications now, I think is going to give us the best opportunity to have that capacity early. Um, I was going to ask uh, or just go back a second into your uh, um, missing moments in the pub concept. Mm. Uh, and I, I think uh, I was listening to Michael Kill at a NTIA webinar and he was talking about the, I guess, consumers and uh, owners being sort of more respectful of each other in a sense. I, um, and I, I think it's something to really think about because, yeah, this is uh, going to be a very challenging process. Um, 
I want to ask you a bit about security as well because I think um, that's a bit of a challenge um, specifically. Um, but yeah, I think this overall thing is going to be just challenging for everyone. Mm. And, and the extent to which, um, you know, I, I, yeah, it worries me the number of potential failure points for businesses here, you know, in terms of almost recommissioning a, a business and then, uh, then you get onto skills, challenges, consumer behaviour, um, normalisation, these types of things. But uh, one thing that I think that people might be open to is just that connection to a, a local or a connection to a venue in, and and almost taking out a, a vested interest in seeing the venue being successful because we you know there's this social connection concept now and it's like attached to place. Do you think like the sector could make more of a go of that? Oh, yeah, very much so. I think you know, people probably didn't realise what an important factor the ability to socialise over a beer and a meal was until it's taken away. And it's been staggering the amount of times that pubs have been in the media over the last 18 months of the real bellwether for a reopening and and connectivity and I, I think we need to take advantage of that now. Like it's clearly, um, it's very clear that pubs and restaurants are very, very dear to the community. They've evolved over a hundred years to the types of venues they are now, where they attract people from all walks of life. And I think now having that connectivity with your local or your regular venue that you go to is going to be seen more than ever. And there's going to be some, fami- uh, some some familiar faces when you go back into your venue and there's going to be some new people as well. And uh, to your comment, Mike, I think having uh, a shared understanding and a patience that everyone's trying to get back on their feet, you know, if the drinks take a bit longer, just chill, you know, they'll, they'll be there for you as soon as they can. If the meal takes 15 minutes longer, so be it. Just enjoy the fact that we're out and about again. We're training a whole new workforce and, uh, we've left the bad times behind us. Mm. And just on security in particular, I guess uh, uh, we were both involved, I think, in a webinar or something the other day. I can't remember what it was. But, uh, like, how much of a challenge do you foresee around uh, security because of labour shortage and also just complication of rules and regulations as they kind of get released and how consumers are engaging with them? Yeah, it's, it's very concerning, the current security situation. And I think... We're seeing this globally, aren't we? And it's interesting when you look, I remember this time last year I was talking to a lot of people in the UK about what the reopening plans were looking like because we were coming out and they, well, they were coming out and we'd been out for a while. And this time we're looking to the UK and others as to their experience. And I read an article in The Age yesterday that said only two out of ten security workers are fully vaccinated at the moment and they're really concerned about what that's going to mean for summer entertainment, sports offerings and equally, um, somewhat understandably, given the security people haven't had jobs in venues, they've moved to other areas and, and those areas are perhaps a little bit less stressful than working at the front door of a pub at 1am. And so attracting them back is going to be really challenging. I think part of what we want to do is augment that security with our own teams to make sure that we have enough of our own teams on the door. And I think when you look at 
how you segment your workforce is going to be really important. You know, you don't have to be able to make the best, best espresso martini to stand at the door alongside a security person with a smile and patiently talk people through what the rules and regulations are. So I think you can perhaps have uh, people with really great social skills but less pub skills standing at the door with support doing those types of roles. So it's about substituting labour. I think the other thing is we'll need to work with uh, liquor and gaming on what are security requirements because with reduced capacity in many venues, I think it's reasonable that we should be able to have that discussion in order to look at do we need that same level of security on given one patrons are going to be seated and two capacity levels are going to be much less than they were during normal times and three you can't get the workforce so we want to have those discussions with liquor and gaming about well what are the real alternatives here to provide a safe operating environment yeah no, that's really good um uh, insight there i think and i think sometime last year there was a statement of regulatory intent around um some premises at least uh so maybe there's a bit of a precedent there for a bit of you know direction uh given the circumstances Could i ask quickly just with the with regards to the security topic that you two are referring to obviously you're part of a, a webinar that um myself and others uh listening don't know about what kind of security risks are you looking to um mitigate through security um, if that makes sense, like, why is the topic so important to you? Is it because of the sort of the vaccine topic at entry? Is that kind of one of the primary drivers? Yeah, I, th I think so, Luke. I think the the key issue though is the workforce shortages that we're going to see. There's been an enormous demand for that workforce through other uh, public health operating environments like um, testing facilities, vaccination hubs. Uh, they're being hospitals, they're being used in other areas. So the, the relatively small workforce we already have has been redeployed to other areas. And then secondly, a lot of them um, haven't, from what we can tell, haven't um, been fully vaccinated yet, so they won't be able to work in the venues. And then thirdly, you've got that overlay of the operating environment that's more complex than ever and um, the challenge with potentially dealing with patrons who are, don't have the uh, right approvals to come in because they're, they're not yet vaccinated. Mm, right, so a, a fairly tight supply on labour within security kind of role, right? And, and extenuating circumstances. How, how is that flowing on to the rest of the talent pool? I know you touched on it earlier, but um, mm. what, what are the numbers that you're... I know you're very big on your data and you tend to be across the numbers, so... <laughs> Um, what are you? What's it looking like for you in terms of any shortfall or gaps that there might be in your even just your casual labour force? Mm. You know, is under extreme pressure. Yeah, so we're looking to hire about five hundred positions across Australia at the moment, front of house and back of house, to meet the demand this summer. Some of that is your natural attrition that you've had during the lockdown, and some of it is just. Uh, getting ready for what we anticipate is going to be an incredibly strong trade period. The shortfall's most challenging is chefs. It's a, just a highly skilled 
position and it relies on what has traditionally been a large proportion of overseas workers. So we've got a very large, what we're calling a summer of fun campaign in the market at the moment, particularly calling for UK chefs and a host of local talent to join the team. So for chefs or Aussies returning home from the UK, we're offering to pay half their visa costs, cover their flights, quarantine on arrival and two weeks accommodation post that. And then we're throwing in a $1,000 food and beverage credit for local people looking to join. I think if this is one of the things that you really need to throw everything at at the moment and that's why uh, we think UK is a very good medium-term opportunity given uh, the trade agreements and the fact that Qantas has now um, announced they're going to fly back to the UK from the 18th of December. So that's been primarily recruitment. Then on top of that, we're doing a lot of work looking to bring unskilled workforces or what starts as an unskilled workforce back into the venues with online training you know it's always harder to do bring novices into pubs when they're not open to to state the bleeding obvious but now we've come up with quite a good online training program a zoom training program you know we've got uh, novices all around australia kids who have just turned 18 practicing their three plate carry around their houses so you know there's ways through this and i think it's time just to try something a bit different to to see how it goes oh well i, I think um innovation is uh, to be commended uh, maybe I'll tune in and, and, and learn that free plate carry still haven't mastered it It's easy for us to just focus on uh, New South Wales, Sydney and Melbourne, I guess, primarily, but you've got, you operate across all markets and, and some of them are very open, obviously, mm. but there's, you know, I'm in Queensland and there's this, this impending sense of doom up here, mm. we haven't been through a significant lockdown and, and, you know, we haven't had that incentive to really drive the vaccination yeah. here as well and, and I think WA is in a pretty similar position. How are you feeling about those markets now, knowing that, you know, really, realistically, Queensland in particular could be in lockdown any day and it could be an extended lockdown? I mean, we seem to yeah. miss a few, uh, escape a few near misses, but, you know, the feeling is it's, it's going to come at some point. Yeah. Look, to be, you, you raise a really good point. And to be totally honest, I'm more worried about Queensland, WA, than I am about Victoria and New South Wales. I think Victoria and New South Wales have a way through this now. We have a reopening plan. We have relatively high vaccination, and it's becoming very obvious that we're going to get to 80% double-dosed in November and December. I worry Queensland and WA are squandering their lead. You know, they're, they're sort of five goals up at three-quarter time to use a AFLism, and this will happen to them and they need to be preparing for it now and we're seeing it in our own workforce that the victorians and the new south uh, welsh men and women are getting their vaccines at pace and we have nearly a fully vaccinated workforce in both states and we don't have that in queensland and wa so i, I worry about 
um, how those states are going to go next year when inevitably um, what's happened in New South Wales and Victoria does will happen. It, it seems impossible to keep out, unfortunately. So uh, you raise a good point. I think it's something that those states need to look at really closely. I see Northern Territory uh, a couple of days ago announced mandatory vaccination for uh, hospitality workers and um, people attending hospitality venues, and I see that as a real positive step as well. And, and they're doing pretty well with their vaccination. It's so like uh, when you take a full sector view, it's so important that uh, these other markets get it right, like for things like live touring music performances, major events, um, national carriers flying into the place. It's just, um, yeah, it's hard to, you know, to, to go, why, why, why? Come on, just get everyone get this sorted. Otherwise, we're, you know, as, a, as an economy, like we'll, we'll just like lag um, and lag the rest of the world, uh, you know, like these artists touring um, will choose other markets, you know, which means that live performance doesn't come back, which means that, you know, et cetera, et cetera. It's such a not inter- interconnected scheme, isn't it, or system really. Um, it's a real risk. And, and we're seeing this on some of the Facebook commentary on those UK ads that I spoke about trying to recruit people back into Australia is that, you know, people aren't perceiving Australia as a great place to be internationally at the moment. And, you know, there's a risk there that we do cause long-term reputational damage to Australia as a place to be unless we can turn this around pretty quickly and become open as as one country. What are your – did you want to go, Mike? No. In terms of the market and how it will respond, I mean – the enthusiasm that we experienced after the last lockdown uh, was pretty, obviously, significant and um, uh, exciting for for operators after such long periods of closure. I, I'm I'm assuming you're ex- you're expecting the same thing, if not even more. As you know, it's hopefully the last lockdown, and uh, I think we referenced it a lot on the last couple of chats. But it should be the biggest summer. Um, of consumption, I think, you know, <laughs> that Australia has probably ever seen, which is saying something. Um, is that where your head's at? Yeah, very much so. I think the fact that uh, our venues in New South Wales and Victoria will only be open to vaccinated staff and patrons means they will be a safe environment for people to come out to. And I think because of that, you're not going to see hesitancy of people wanting to come out and enjoy because they know they're in a safe location. Everyone's been talking about um, the the unvaccinated as as the one the pandemic of the unvaccinated, and I think that is not going to be seated in pubs because pubs are going to be fully fully vaccinated. So they're going to be known as known very quickly as safe places you can come out and reconnect with your family and friends, and and that will only enhance our reputation as somewhere to to catch up with your mates and and family and get back out to. So we're anticipating really, really strong trade and a real recognition that our venues are going to be a very safe place to come out to. Yeah, it's interesting, again, looking at the market as as a whole, you recognise the value of of large well-run operators um, in terms of setting setting a standard in the first instance 
and um, and then encouraging that consumer behaviour um, because I'm just thinking through your vaccination rates versus other businesses, just as one example, which means that some businesses won't be able to come back online as quickly um, because they'll be, they're just off the pace. But in the meantime, if large-scale operators are, you know, I guess pumping audience habit in a sense, then as other businesses and parts of the sector kind of finally get their, you know, their businesses back into operating shape, you know, they'll sort of enjoy the sort of the heavy lifting done by likes of, of you, Maryvale and others, you know. Um, yeah, it's not too late though, Mike, is it? Like we're still a month out. There's very easy to get two vaccines between now and that reopening mid-October. It's really easy to do your work around your reservation systems now to get them up and going. It's it's re- relatively easy to start restocking the bars. So, you know, even if there's an operator listening who hasn't started yet, it's not too late to get open for what is going to be a cracking period of trade. Yeah. Um, and, and things like our frescoes you touched on, um, you know, they're, uh, they're sort of potential game changers if we can land it right. So good work uh, persisting with your, <laughs> your applications and hopefully like we're involved, as you know, in, in trying to make some improvements. Um, but uh, there's more, just watch your space on that. Hopefully it, um, it can come out and make a difference. Uh, is it if you have one thing that was really just uh, on your mind as being the most concerning aspect of reopening, mm. but, and also conversely, w- what is the bit that you're most excited by? Yeah, well, I'm just excited by the opportunity and the potential that we have, and this enormous um, chance to have what will be an industry-defining year into. 2022 so getting um prepared for that with trepidation but absolutely excitement in terms of what i'm worried about i'm always worried there's going to be snap lockdowns into next year and that's really going to sap morale and our ability to recover quickly we've had six lockdowns in victoria now and it gets draining and and so you know i'm really of the view that We've got behind these high vaccination rates. The community has really leaned in and got will we'll have world-leading vaccinations and we need to ensure that that enables us to reopen. I think government consistency worries me and I touched on that briefly a little bit before across the states. Let's not pretend this is a science-based approach at the moment. This is a risk-tolerance approach and different states have different risk tolerances. Now, there's no scientific reason Victoria and New South Wales reopening should be different. So if we can get consistency across government, I think that's going to be much better for our industry. and, and I am, as I said before, I'm, I'm a little bit concerned about long-term reputational damage to Australia as being fun-loving Larrick and Aussies where everyone can get out and have a crack unless we can address these borders and get people coming back into the country and travelling uh, early to middle of next year. Luke, you, you, are, you, you look primed to ask something else. I'm actually not. <laughs> uh, I, no, I actually I am. Uh, I, I'm. You, you mentioned again going back to the moments of the pub. Um, 
what moment are you personally looking forward to the most? I mean, in terms, which pub are you going to go to? What are you going to order? Who are you going to go with? What's the, what, what's the whole, uh, talk us through the whole experience. Yeah, well, for me, it's just about venues where I've had the best experiences in the past with my mates. So you know, I'm just happy with a, a solid meal and a, I know when you come on this podcast, you have to say your favourite drink's Negroni, but I actually prefer a beer. <laughs> so apologies for that in advance. But you know, I, I just love pub, some of the Melbourne pubs like the London Tavern in Richmond, the Spready in Richmond, you know, the, the Fitzroy Town Hall Hotel, Sean Donovan's pub in Fitzroy. I just love these general great boozers with really good food, catching up with the mates, maybe watching the, you know, settling in to watch the ashes it's just you know incredibly exciting what what summer's going to bring and and i hope you know the community and the industry is starting to feel that excitement now as well i'm chuckling because uh, i've been pretty much off the beer at home um but I've, i have been on the negronis i suspect when i go to a pub the first thing i'll drink is a beer i think that's probably a fair statement hard to beat a draft yeah, yeah, I think so. It'd be remiss not to ask you this as well while we've got you, but have you, you've your approach to growth is, has probably remained pretty consistent. Mm. Uh, you've still been acquiring pubs, um, even in lockdown cities, right? Like, yeah. how are you looking at? I mean, if we get past the next three to six months, whatever it might be, has anything? I know we asked you this last time, but has anything changed in your approach? Um, Again, if we can look back to pre-pandemic and then mm. now, given we're another sort of 12 months in, where's your thinking at for the future, um, you know, completely past the pandemic? Oh, we're, we're very buoyant about the future of this industry, Luke. As I always say, how many businesses can you be in where it's operated continuously from the one spot for 140 years? You know, I, I can't think of anything else other than pubs where that's been the case. So we've continued to acquire sort of 12 to 15 venues a year, and I think we'll continue at that pace for the foreseeable future. In terms of other things that uh, we're working on, we're doing a fair few more greenfields now. So we've got a relatively exciting project coming up in South Everly, uh, up in Sydney, that that will hopefully um, go very well towards the middle of next year. Uh, We're also increasingly looking at what we call khaki fields, which is taking desolate old pubs or run-down old pubs and totally reinventing them. So they're half brown fields, half green fields. We've most recently done the Sarah Sands in Brunswick in Melbourne, which had been closed for five years, uh, reopened that. And, and once again, it just reinforces the love of a local community for a great pub. So now we can we intend to continue going at pace with our growth. And I think we're fortunate we've had the ability to look through what's been a pretty horrific 18 months, knowing that there's better times ahead for us all. Are you focusing on any locations in particular or are you just taking each case, uh, each either opportunity on its merit? Yeah, we're lucky now in that we have uh, venues in every state and territory except for the ACT. So we've got our first Tasmanian venue that will open in Hobart early next year and that gives us the opportunity to be a bit agnostic about location and just take up the best opportunities where they come up clearly sydney is going to be a focus i think if there's a market where we we were underrepresented in only 10 percent of our revenue 
comes from Sydney. So that's going to be a market that we'd really like to grow more in. I think we'll probably do that via greenfields rather than acquisitions because um, the the multiples paid for venues in Sydney is still relatively significantly higher than it is in the other states and and territories. Um, So, yeah, we'd love to grow in Sydney, but given we've got locations pretty much everywhere now, it gives us the opportunity to pretty much look at anything. Yeah, nice. Um, I think it's good to finish on, on a couple of optimistic notes, don't you reckon? Absolutely. Yeah. So, well, uh, thanks again, uh, Paul, for joining us. And I think, uh, um, you know, it's, it's good current information that, uh, you know, we'll take, push into, into the ether and other parts of, of the world, including government, and see where we get. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks so much for your time, gents, and uh, good luck to everyone on the reopening. <laughs> <laughs>